0: Well, I had planned to start a new sermon series this week called Come and See, but instead I'm talking about how in the world do I not worry in the middle of all of this mess, right? And so um, first, I just want to make a couple of observations that I think are important. Because if you listen to people on social media and you listen to people um, as you're interacting, here are some of the things I've heard. I've heard a lot about media frenzy. How many of you have heard that term, media frenzy? Over the... and, and if I can be honest, I have not seen a lot of media frenzy. I have seen a lot of reporting. I've seen a lot of trying to process through information as much as possible. And me personally, I like to be informed about stuff. If there are things that are happening, especially things that are going to affect me, I really like to know about it. I like to know what's going on. So I would say in what I've seen so far, and I haven't seen it all, but what I've seen so far has been pretty responsible reporting. And I just want to make sure, like, if the media is being frenetic and stirring panic, I would like to be the first person to call it out. But I just haven't observed that very much this go round. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about how everyone is panicked. I have not seen a ton of panic either. Like Mary and I went out and we got some groceries and we stocked up on some things and everybody was pretty chill. You know, there were some people probably taking more toilet paper than they were going to use in the next year. You know, um, I don't know, maybe people are building little forts out of toilet paper. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know what's happening, but, but it was one of those things that as, as I was listening to the, some of the things that I saw on Facebook and You know, Institute or whatever the other things are called. I don't even. I'm just making myself look older, right? But it it was talking about all the people are just panicked. And, And I was thinking, okay, by comparison, every Black Friday, somebody is trampled to death, stabbed, shot, you know, like we've seen. Well, I think I read this morning, I just kind of quickly looked up the statistics. I think since 2006, there have been 14 people killed on Black Friday and like 138 other types of injuries, including stabbings and shootings. That, uh, and so I'm thinking, by comparison, this hasn't been that bad. Um, have people bought in, in bulk? Yeah. Have people's bulk buying created a lack of stuff? For other people, yeah. Should we be a little responsible about how we purchase to make sure that everyone has things? Probably. So, you know, that's kind of one of those things that I was thinking about. Another thing um, that, that I've heard is people talking about chaos. There's just chaos. And, um, and I want to just say that from our federal, state, and local government, I've been pretty impressed with the attention that's been given to this thing. Um, I don't mind criticizing politicians when they're doing things wrong. Um, If I think it will be effective in helping people vote the right ways or whatever, if I think a politician is being foolish, I don't want you to vote for them, you know? Um, And I don't have a political aisle that I'm going to stand in. I'm just going to say, hey, there are corrupt politicians everywhere. And I tend to get frustrated with all of them. Um, What I would say is, you know, the response to the coronavirus from our political leaders, our our governor, our mayor, um, the president, I think has been pretty reasonable. One of the things that I know as a leader is making decisions when you don't have information is very, very hard. And it's very easy after the fact to look at the decisions that leaders have made and say, well, three weeks ago, they should have said that. Well, of course we say that because we know the information today. They didn't know the information three weeks ago. Even about, you know, things with whether we should have church today or not. There's, you know, there there are people that think I made the wrong decision by deciding to have church. There are people that think I made the right decision to have church. There are people that think that I'm using the wrong protocols for today. There are people that think that I'm using the right protocols. There are some people that think that we're being over the top by having people wear blue gloves. There are people that think that we didn't go far far enough. So I'm just going to tell you, making decisions as a leader... Is very, very difficult. And so you're trying to make the most informed, best decisions that you possibly can. Just know that leaders have way more things that they have to think about than than you do, right? Because they're thinking about the impacts on everybody. How does this affect? So you're playing all of these scenarios out as a leader. And for me, you know, pastoring a church with, you know, 120 or so people, it, it, Is challenging for me to think of those scenarios. Think about, you know, making decisions for a country of 300 million people. Like that's a lot, right? So these are the kinds of things that we have to think about. So I would encourage you, instead of being quite so critical about our leaders, maybe we should pray for our leaders at least as much as we criticize them, right? Um, I'm not saying to never think critically. I'm just saying, probably more value in prayer than there is in criticism. Um, So with that, let's open in prayer. Father God, today I realize just how ill-equipped I am, number one, to even talk about things that I don't understand, but Lord, to... to really kind of steer and give ideas and thoughts about how to properly um, go through and deal with situations like we're seeing around the world right now, Lord. The statistics say that we haven't seen a pandemic like this since 1917 and 18, um, and and we're just we're not afraid, but we're we want to be wise. We want to be. Cautious, we want to be thoughtful, and so God, I pray that as we study your word and as we have a conversation about this, that you would just speak to our hearts and give us your wisdom as we walk down this road in Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I I think that I've covered kind of how we're going to, to cover this as a church, but I did want to talk about a couple of the extremes that I see when we go through things like this as a country around the world, there's typically two extremes. There's, there's the people who are fearful and panicked, right? And that's one extreme, and that's very unhealthy. It's, you know, everybody, we're going to die, and everybody's going to, you know, everybody's going to die and stay away, and it's just, like, crazy, right? But then you have the other people, and they're, like, so chill about it that they're irresponsible, like, their only responsibility in the whole thing is to post memes on social media about how crazy everybody else is, right? Like, that's as far as it goes. How many of you have seen at least some memes about how crazy everybody is? Right, okay. And the rest of you don't have social media, and that's great. Um, so, I, I can't... I, <laughs> I think that the right way to fall on this thing is not to worry and be prepared, right? And, and it's not unbiblical to be prepared. Being prepared is what we like to call wisdom. You know, it, you, it's funny because people that, that put aside a couple months worth of food in their home, right? We've labeled them preppers and they're weird kooks, right? A hundred years ago, they were called your neighbor. Right? It's like everybody did it. And you were a kook and irresponsible if you didn't do it. Right? How many of you, your grandmother canned stuff? Okay. Good. So everybody that's like 30 or older, your grandma canned stuff. And it was not, like you were weird if you didn't can. Like everybody canned. Right? Nobody said, you prepping kook. Like... Man, did you get some of grandma's apple butter? That was legit, right? That's kind of how we operate it. But now it's you prepping kook. Does anybody call people that save for retirement kooky preppers? No, they call them normal. What are you doing? You're getting ready for a time when you either can't work or choose not to work, right? It's not Kooky, it's not irresponsible, it's not foolish, it's wise, it's prudent. So being prepared for things is not to be labeled as kooky prepper, it's to be labeled as discerning, wise, thoughtful. Let's let's think about this in the context of Scripture, right? Genesis chapter 6, we got this guy Noah that decides to build this gigantic boat, stick a mass of animals on it, to get ready for impending flood, he was literally the world's first doomsday prepper, and it turned out pretty well for us, didn't it? Turned out okay. Then there's this other guy. If you got your Bible, turn to Genesis 41. By the way, on the back of your bulletin, we've gone to a lot of work to do this. There's a little white space on there that says sermon notes. They've got these things that they make now. They're called pens. They're fantastic for putting things in that white space. I encourage you to take notes as I'm preaching. Um, I think I think note takers are world changers. Note takers are world changers because you're saying, I don't want to just hear this and feel good. I want to write this down and use it. I want to send this on to somebody else. I want to invest this truth in somebody else's life. That's what you're doing when you're taking notes. So in in Genesis chapter 41, start with verse 17. It says, so Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. In my dream, he said, I was standing on the bank of the Nile River and I saw Seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river "'and begin grazing in the marsh grass. "'But then I saw seven sick-looking cows, "'scrawny and thin, come up after them. "'I've never seen such sorry-looking animals "'in all the land of Egypt. "'These thin, scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows, "'but afterwards you wouldn't have known it, "'for they were still as thin and scrawny as before. "'Then I woke up. "'In my dream I also saw seven heads of grain, "'full and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. "'Then seven more heads of grain appeared.' But these were blighted, shriveled, and withered by the east wind. <clears throat> and the shriveled heads swallowed the seven healthy heads. I told these dreams to the magicians, but no one could tell me what they mean. Not even Pen and Teller. Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance that he is about to do what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will... Uh, will happen just as I have described it. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterwards, there will be seven years of famine. So, so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. And so we've got these crazy dreams from Pharaoh. We've got scrawny cow dreams and withered grain dreams. And everybody's like, I don't ever have dreams like that. Some of you are like, my dreams are weirder than that, right? And what was Joseph's response what was Joseph's response? His, his response was, Pharaoh, we're all going to die. I am so freaked out right now. No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't his response at all. No. He actually just got on Facebook and started posting memes, making fun of everybody. That, no, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that either. What did he do? What did he do? He says, okay, let's get... Ready. Verse 33 Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one fifth of all the crops during the seven good years, have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to the Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away and guard it. So there will be food in the cities. Do you see what he's doing? He's being very practical, very wise. He says, look, if we're anticipating that things are going to get bad, it would be wise for us to be ready. And what happens is that Joseph's actions set Egypt up as the world's superpower because they have so much food, they have so much surplus that they're actually able to make these massive land grabs for everything around them because people are so desperate because they're so hungry that they come to Egypt and they say, we don't have anything except our land to trade. We'll give you our land if you'll just give us some food. And so Egypt expands incredibly, has the world's largest superpower at the time, massive armies. They get slave labor for free because people are saying, look, if you'll just feed us, We'll come work for you. Whatever it takes, we just want to survive. How many of you know you don't want to be in that position? It's better to be in the position of the prepared than the position of the pauper. We don't want to be in that situation. So I'm encouraging you guys, please take some strides to get ready. Don't, don't be unwise. And I'm not talking about being crazy and going out and filling up 12 grocery carts today. Like, be wise. Get, get a couple of weeks worth of food in your house, right? What happens if I get sick? I'll be stuck at home for a couple weeks. I want to make sure I've got some soup. I want to make sure I've got some Gatorade. I'd like to make sure I have a few things in the freezer so that I can prepare some food so I don't have to get out and expose anybody. I'd like to have some Gatorade because if I get sick with this thing, man, electrolytes are going to be very important. I, I would like to make sure that I have some acetaminophen and some ibuprofen because I don't want to be in pain while I'm going through this thing. Do you see what I'm saying? This isn't crazy. This is prudent. This is wisdom. This is what we should all be doing. After we get that, maybe we look a little bit more at some other things that we need to do. Consider other things that could happen, right? I really believe that this is an act of God's mercy. I know that it doesn't seem very merciful, but we were not designed for this temporary life. We were designed for eternity, and in as much as this wakes us up to the reality that life is fragile and life is short and hopefully this is a wake up call to your friends that don't know Jesus because this should be a moment where we, as believers in Jesus, are telling our friends, look, don't just be prepared for this, this virus. Don't just be prepared for the next couple of weeks. Be prepared for eternity. Because one day, Jesus is coming back, and you want to be ready. Right? So this is a part, I think, of what we need to be doing. This is what we need to be thinking about. We need to be processing this. We need to be putting things together. We need to be looking for ways that we can help those around us. Thinking about the folks that are in our communities that are elderly. I think a knock on their door in your neighborhood and say, hey, do you have enough groceries? Are you okay? Guys, that is a very practical way to love on your neighbors. Very practical, because you know that your neighbors that are in 70 years old are beyond, those folks are at a higher risk of having bad complications from this thing. So don't let them be exposed. And, and many of the folks in that age range, they don't, they don't get on Amazon Fresh and they don't know how to do Peapod and they don't know how to do um, Instacart and all of these things to get groceries to their home. They need us, the body of Christ, to come alongside and say, are you okay? Can I help? I'm thinking about three neighbors that I have right now that need me today to go knock on their door and say, hey, how can I help you? Is there anything I can do? Do you need anything? You got milk, you got bread, you got toilet paper? Because we all know that you're in trouble if you don't. Can I just tell you guys that toilet paper was only invented within like the last 110 years, just so you know. So there are other ways. Y- y'all have some socks that are missing, right? <laughs> just, I'm just saying. All right, flip over to Matthew chapter 6. I want to look at the words of Jesus. You can't find those things. Put the ones that you did find to use. Why did you say that, pastor? Turn to Matthew 6. We're going to talk a little bit from the words of Jesus here. Um, I, I was... Kind of looking back on this subject of worry, I was looking through my sermon notes and realized that I had preached on this um, back in two thousand and twelve, so most of you weren't here in two thousand and twelve so this is brand new information for you um, but but this is um, this is something that I think is so relevant, so powerful, so good. And it's one of those things that we typically just read past. This is Jesus talking about worry. And most people, as we read it, and I'm just going to read through it, and then we'll go back and reinvestigate it. But as people read this, they're kind of like, really, Jesus? That's the best you got? So let's read it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, um And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So as as we look at this thing and actually as we back up to verse 24, I want to read this and then we'll talk about it, okay? Verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. This is the setup for all of this conversation about worry. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Hmm. How come it is that Jesus uses as the launch point to talk about worry, why is he using money as the launch point? That's weird. Like, none of us worry about money. I mean, come on. This is crazy. Right? This, he knows that first century or 21st century, people struggle with money. And, and here's the tendency that we all have. We all have the tendency to trust in money. We don't really trust in God. We trust in our paycheck. And here's the reality about the majority of Americans. The majority of Americans aren't forced to trust God. If we look around the world, we see countries where literally people may not eat over the course of a day or two days or 3 days. And they're literally in these places where they're eating out of trash heaps and they're, they're struggling for their next bit of food. And, and, and this is one of those times where these people in the first century, they're literally so oppressed by the Roman government that they, they don't have enough money to eat. They can't eat. And so Jesus approaches these people in the middle of their struggle and he says, that is why I tell you, not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying here, your number one worry is about food and clothes. Now, if these guys were in the 21st century, he would say, hey, don't worry about coronavirus, right? Don't worry about the stock market and what it's doing. Don't worry about your job situation. That's what he would remind us of today, right? And so as we dig in here, he's he's not saying that it's not important. He's not saying food is not important. He's not saying that clothes are not important. He's not saying that it's not important to think about the coronavirus. He's not saying that it's not important to think about the stock market. What he's saying is it's not worth worrying about. That's what Jesus is getting across here. And, and so as we read on, what's he say? He says, Isn't life more than food? And your body more than clothing? I, I used to I used to fly airplanes. Um that was going to be my career path before um, God closed all the doors and led me to be a pastor. And so I have one year of studying aviation science. I loved it. Loved the field. Loved being able to get out there and fly in an airplane. If you've never flown in a small airplane, it is so much fun. It's the greatest thing in the world. Mary would love to do it more. No, I'm just kidding. She wouldn't. Um, but I, I love it because you get out there. And for me, it was I would get out there at like 5 o'clock in the morning. And um, I did most of my flying was during the winter. And so I get out there at like 5 o'clock in the morning. You have to rub the airplane down, and make sure that things were de iced that it was ready to go, and so I'd be out there doing checks and all this pre-flight before the sun ever came up, and you're out there on the runway, or out there on the taxiways, uh, right outside the hangars, and it's just kind of all of this stuff happening, all this bustle, and then you get in the airplane and you take off, and as you take off, it's like everything just starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and all of a sudden, you're just kind of soaring above everything. And you're looking at all the things that, you know, because I would be flying around St. Louis, flying over St. Louis in the middle of rush hour. So it's gridlocked down there. But up there, it was fine. Nothing going on. Just me hanging out with the birds and just flying around. Um, I remember in 93, which is when I was flying a lot, there was a, a huge flood in the Mississippi. And... Um, and I was literally flying over Columbia. And as I'm flying over there, I'm watching is this old white farmhouse just picks up off of its foundation. and starts going down the Mississippi River. It's crazy. Literally watched it as it happened. There's actually some news helicopters in the area and you can still see video of this thing. If you, if you go on YouTube, you can see videos of this thing. going. And I'm watching it as it happened. It was like, are you kidding me right now? This is unbelievable. And and here's the thing that I know about the problems in life is that the higher you get, the smaller they are. That's why worship is so important because you're elevating your spirit to connect with God and he's above it all, right? Right? And so as he's above it all, so we as part of Christ, we as the body of Christ, we as we are seated, as scripture says, in the heavenly places, we have a vantage point from the heavenlies that we're able to look down and see things from his point of view as what they are. And that's small by comparison. Part of the beauty of relationship with God is that you get God's perspective on things. And that's why Jesus can make this next comment because he says, Look at the birds. To which everybody listening goes, Really? Like, Jesus, I, I don't have time to look at the birds. There's a coronavirus that's become a pandemic. Around the world, the stock market has crashed. There's global terrorism. There's instability in the fuel market. There's there's wonder if the American oil industry is going to shut down because there's this war from some of the Middle Eastern countries to drive oil prices so low that it knocks out our oil industry. And then what do we do when we lose our energy independence and my kids struggling in school and I don't know, my parents are aging. and I don't have time to look at the birds. I just see Jesus saying, you done? Did you get that out of your system? You okay? Look at the birds. All right, Jesus, I'm looking at the birds. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Yep, got it. They do the same thing every day. Nothing new with the birds. What kind of wisdom am I supposed to get out of looking at the birds? You, 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 when you think about it, you're like, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Birds literally just fly around and they grab a worm out of the ground and eat it. And you're like, I'm not eating a worm, Jesus. I don't even like worms, right? And, and, and you, you read on here and, and look what he says. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are. And so, so the idea here is that they don't have any solutions for the coronavirus. The birds, they, they don't know. They're just flying around. We don't have any idea what to do, right? They, they don't have a, a health care They don't have a 401k. They don't have a college education. They they don't walk their kids around by the hand everywhere they go and put helmets on them and protect them from every possible bad thing that could ever happen. They don't do any of that stuff. But you do. And if God takes care of these birds that don't do any of that, how much more does God want to take care of you? And look, God made you. You are the imprint of God in creation. He said, I'm going to make man in my image. Why is it so important? Why is one of the 10 commandments? Do not make for yourself any graven images. Why? Because God is the only one that is allowed to make something in his image. And that was you. He made You in his image. And so the reason we don't try to make images of God is because we are the image of God. And so if you're the image of God, don't you think that God is going to care for the ones that bear his likeness? If I run around and make sure my kids have helmets and I run over to them when when Abby is out playing on the trampoline and I hear that cry that only kids that are hurt make. I know it. I know the fake cry. I know the real cry. How many of you parents know the difference between the fake boo boo cry and the real boo boo cry? There's a difference, right? And so when when it's the fake boo boo cry, you're like, walk it off. Right? When it's the real boo-boo cry, get out, the. I'm coming, baby. And you're going to help and you're going to put a bandage on that boo-boo and you're going to fix it, right? Because you love that baby. That's how God is with you. He's like, and, and do you ever, you know, do you ever look at your kid and you're like, we made that. So cute. I am a creepy dad because I love to watch my kids sleep. I'll be in there in the, in the middle of the night, early in the morning. I'm just watching them. So cute. Yes, even Grace. I'm sorry, I said your name. I owe you money. Sorry. So I'll, I'll go into and and it's funny the other the other day I woke Grace up and um I was talking to her and I'm like. Grace, I'm so thankful for you. And I'm just, you know, because here's here's what Mary and I believe. Don't wait till somebody dies to give them flowers, right? Pour life into people you love while they're with you. I've been to funerals of so many people that I love, and I think, man, I wish I would have said, I wish I would have said, I wish I would have done. Don't wait. So, like I, I'm in there in Gracie's room and I'm talking to her. I'm like, man, I'm so proud of who you are. And I'm, you know, I'm talking. And I'm like, it's first thing in the morning. Here I am. I'm getting emotional. I'm crying. I'm like, and she's like, Dad, are you crying? I'm like, I'm crying. All right, I gotta walk out. It's my allergies, okay? I'm fine. But but here's the thing: if if we love our kids like that, how much more does God love you? He loves you so much, guys. He is interested in you. He loves you. And so here we are. God's saying, hey, look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or do anything. They they don't invest in anything, but you do. You're constantly working and preparing and trying to do the best in your life. And how much more am I going to take care of you? So don't worry. So then we get down here to verse 27. It says, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Heard somebody say one time, man, I'm really glad that I worry a lot because 90% of the stuff that I worry about never happens. So, you know, I feel like I've accomplished something. If I didn't worry about it, it probably would have happened. I don't know. Right like I actually was watching a news report um, last night that said that um, there is some new scientific research that says worrying has actually made a lot of things better, it changes things, makes things really, really good, and that they're encouraging more people to worry. like I said no one ever, right? It literally is the most counterproductive, destructive activity that we engage in on a regular basis. It's like. It's like communicating prayer in reverse. Worry is communicating prayer in reverse. Instead of allowing your faith to speak, you're allowing your fear to speak. And you're giving voice and faith to your fear. Is there anything more destructive than that? So Jesus is saying, don't worry. Has anybody seen the stock market go up since they started worrying about it? Has COVID 19 become much better because there are hundreds of millions of people around the world that are worried about it? No, it's going to follow its course whether you worry or not. And so, this is where Jesus comes up with this amazing idea, and that is don't worry. Don't worry. And He says, you're not in tomorrow, so don't worry about tomorrow. He's trying to assure us by simply looking at the birds that he has it in his ability and his desire to take care of all of your tomorrows. And so we read on, it says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Isn't that reassuring? He cares for you. And... uh, you know, here's, here's the reality. I, I talked to somebody earlier this week and, and um, I heard somebody say in the congregation, you know, it's easier said than done. Well, of course it's easier said than done. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's easier said than done that you still do. But what we don't want to do is allow it's easier to s- said than done to become the excuse for why we don't do what God has expressly commanded us to do. Because that's what we call sin. When God tells you to do something and you say, I'm not even going to make any effort because it's hard. That is sin. If you stumble into worry and you've been making the effort to press in and and worship and pray and, and give your thoughts over to God and do what Paul says and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, if you've been doing that and you've been engaging in that and you find yourself falling into worry again, when you fall into worry, pick yourself up. And say, today, I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I will not let Satan dominate my thoughts and sidetrack my faith. I put my hope in Christ. That's what we do. How many, how many things are just so easy? I, I really believe that so many people struggle with sin, or so many people live in sin, precisely because they don't struggle with it. I don't have a problem with people who struggle with sin. I have a problem with people who roll over and say, well, I guess I'm just going to sin. It's too hard. No. You have the power of the spirit of the risen Jesus living within you. Act like it. Act like it. Do you think that Jesus didn't get tempted to worry? We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't we? And he is wrestling about his tomorrow, but he's not worried about his tomorrow. How does Jesus deal with what could have been a stumbling block of worry? I would be worried if I were going to a cross. Would you put that on your list of things that might be a concern in your life? How does Jesus deal with it? He says, God, I don't want to do this. He agonizes with God, not with his problem. Do you see that? Where is his attention directed? He's not directing his attention at his problem. He's directing his attention at his God because he knows that his God has the opportunity to shift his problem. And he's asking God, he knows that it is his destiny to march to the cross and die. He still wrestles with God over it. He still wrestled with God over it. Why? Because the temptation was to worry. But if he gives in to worry, then he has given in to sin. And he says, I refuse to do that. So instead of letting my thoughts be occupied by this thing that is so scary. And let me tell you something people died on crosses all the time, that was not the problem. What Jesus knew was coming was this extraordinary separation from God that he was going to experience when he hung on a cross. Because when he's hanging on the cross, he's suspended between heaven and earth and he's rejected by both and he's experienced the shame and rejection and humiliation of being tortured by humanity that he loves and is dying for while at the same time knowing that God is going to turn his back on him as Jesus opens his arms to receive all of this sin of humanity, past and future. All of that stuff coming on Jesus. And so that moment of shame that you have when you realize that you've sinned and you've done something that is horrific to God and you feel that wash of guilt that comes over you. Imagine every sin of humanity, the guilt and the shame and the pain and the angst that comes with that all washing on one person at one time. Can you imagine the agony? And what does Jesus say? God, why have you forsaken me? Do you hear that agony? And Jesus is he's crying out to his father. Why? The idea of that word forsaken there is, why did you turn your back on me? It's rejection. And then Jesus says, It's finished. I did it. I shouldered the whole load. The cross wasn't strong enough, but I was strong enough. I've got it. All humanity, past, present, future, I'll shoulder it. Can we just take a minute and say, Thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. For shouldering the weight of our sin. Thank you for wrestling with what could have been worry in your life and turning it around for the glory of God for ours. Thank you, Lord. And then the second part of verse 30, Jesus makes this statement. He says, Why do you have so little faith? What's interesting about this phrase is that it's not used by anyone except Jesus. He's the only one that uses this phrase, you of little faith, and it's actually just one word in Greek. It's actually two seldom used words that Jesus puts together and makes a compound word out of it. And the word literally translated would be little faither." And we we come out of this moment of thinking about the cross and we move into this moment of Jesus calling his disciples a name. You can can almost see Jesus kind of laughing as he calls his disciples out and says, you little faithers. Like, you're stressed out about what you're gonna eat, <laughs> little faither. You're stressed out about what you're gonna wear. I know your clothes are wearing out, little faither. You're worried about the coronavirus, little faither. You hear somebody worrying, you just need to go up to him and say, <laughs> little faither. Just call him a name. Tell him your pastor said to. So he he, he makes this word. Little Faither. And what he's, what he's saying is, hey, I want you to know that when you take on this worry, you're taking on an identity. How many of you hear people say, I'm a worrier? Do you hear how you're identifying yourself? You've named yourself worrier. Many of you have ever heard people say, I have anxiety. Right? I possess it, it's mine, it's who I am, it's attached to me. No, 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 no. You don't have anxiety, you wrestle. With anxiety. You struggle against worry, but it is your enemy. It is not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You are the blood bought. You're the redeemed. You're a son or a daughter of God. You are a part of the royal family. You are seated in heavenly places with the most high God. That's who you are. Lean into that. Tell people, man, my enemy kicks my butt sometimes. My enemy is anxiety but I know it, I see it when it comes, but I'm gonna fight it every step of the way because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I refuse to accept it as my identity. Verse 31 says, so don't worry about these things. I'm saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. So Jesus just made fun of you and called you a little faither. Now he's saying you're the same as an unbeliever. He's equated you with an atheist because of your worry. He says, look, of of course atheists think this way because they don't realize that I'm their provision. They don't realize that I'm Yahweh Yireh. They don't realize that I'm the one that provides. So why are you behaving just like the atheists? Your idea, your posture, your way of thinking, the way you approach life should be diametrically opposed to the way that unbelievers think. Because your hope is in Christ. Is this this registering? Are you guys with me here? So what does he say? Second part of verse 32 says, but your heavenly father... Already knows your needs. Guys, do you know how much comfort is in that little phrase? Your dad knows. Sometimes my kids come to me and they're stressed out about stuff that I've already got taken care of. They're like, dad, did you know? Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that? I'm like, yeah, it's handled. I got it. I was thinking about that problem before you were ever born, right? And that's how God is with us. He's like, I got it. I know you don't see it. I know you don't understand it, but I got it. Is everything on this earth going to work out the way that you think it's going to work out? No. Is there always going to be a positive outcome no, but is God still on the throne? And is God still working for your benefit? And is God still working with your eternity in mind? Of course. So that's where we rest. And then, verse 33, it's one of my favorites. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And everybody said, but here's the problem, right? We tend not to seek the kingdom and righteousness first. We tend to seek what we want first. And if we have time Later on, down the road, if we're not too busy, we'll seek the kingdom. We'll seek his righteousness. We'll pursue him. But right now, I'm busy. That's one of the reasons you're worried. If you will seek him first and his righteousness, you'll start to find those worried spaces break apart. And get filled with who he is. Are you ever gonna live outside of a place where worry is knocking on your door? I don't know. I know people that don't worry at all, ever. Like bad stuff is happening, and you're like, are you alive? Do you have a pulse? Like, where are you from? Are you like from Krypton? Who are you? Like, how are you not worried? Right? But can I tell you this? The people that you admire most in your life are the people that face problems, and they always seem to rise above. You look at them and you're like, how are you that strong? And if you ask them that question legitimately, they would tell you, I'm not, but he is. I just happen to be soaring on eagles' wings because those who wait on the Lord will run and won't go weary. They'll walk and they'll not faint. They'll mount up on wings like eagles and they'll soar above the problem and the problem will still be there but their perspective will be so dynamically shifted by their position that it won't affect them like it affects you. (sighs) Do you feel that? Do you feel the peace of God? That's what God wants for you. And this is the takeaway. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things. Will be added unto you. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father God, thank you so much for being with us. Lord, you are Emmanuel, God with us. There is nothing that we face alone. You are with us. God, I pray that you would walk us through these next weeks, walk us through these next months. God, I pray that you would leverage our position in you to impact the eternities of many. I pray, Lord, that as we pursue you, you would open our eyes to opportunities to share your love with those around us. As we walk through this, Lord, let us love well, Let us pursue you. And God, I pray that you would grow us in you in this time. God, I pray that at the end of everything, as we stand before you, we would be able to stand before you with clear conscience saying, I sought you first. I sought your kingdom first. And here I am living in my addition. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that everything that's been spoken, every word that's been prayed, every song that's been worshiped would be sealed in our hearts as we leave this place today. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.